Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Eavesdropping, eavesdropping is generally frowned upon, right? It's one of those things that your mom told you not to do, like putting your elbows on the table or chewing with your mouth open. You just don't do that. You don't eavesdrop. You don't listen in on people. It's impolite. It's not appropriate, except for every once in a while. <clears throat> I've told some of you the story of our, uh, us selling our house in Washington. We were in Washington, and I'd received the call to come to Trinity Arcadia and was still deliberating over it and had some hesitancy for, for different reasons. But one of the reasons, one of the reasons was just the practical matter of we were going to have to sell our house. And we had actually tried to sell it previously and were unsuccessful, and so I had a little bit of, of consternation about that. But one day, I'm at the coffee shop in town, and it was one of those places where there's all big tables and people are all sharing the tables. So I'm sitting there with my headphones in, but I don't have my music on. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> some ladies are sitting at the end here, a, a group of friends, and I can tell they're talking about the one gal she's looking for a house. She's been looking for a house, trying to find one, been unsuccessful. And, and I can tell she's even talking about uh, my neighborhood where our house was at. And, and finally she says at one point, you know, I'm ready to just start going door to door and, and knocking on doors to see who will sell me their house. So at this point, I say, <clears throat> um, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry to interrupt. I didn't mean to be eavesdropping, but I couldn't help but hear. And I, I tell her about the house and invite her and her husband to come in and take a look. And they do. And uh, a week or so later, after we had decided to accept the call, I sent her an email. She'd given me her email address. I sent her an email and said, hey, we're, we're moving, we're taking this uh, position in Michigan. Let me know if you wanna make an offer because we're gonna put it on the market. And she emails me 10 minutes later and makes an offer. And thus, we sold our house. So, this is not a sermon about why you should be eavesdropping more. <laughs> Incidentally, but occasionally, it can be a good thing. And that's the case in today's gospel. We're given this remarkable opportunity. In John 17, we get to overhear the praying of our Lord Jesus. And in these few verses in particular, it is an incredible thing because here Jesus is not simply praying for his disciples who are there with him. He's not praying for the people who are alive at that moment whom they're going to go out and preach the message to. He's praying for us. Did you catch that? He said, I pray, Father, for those who will believe through their word, through the, the word of the apostles as they go out. And you, me, all of us gathered here are the great, 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 great grandchildren of those first apostles and their proclamation of the gospel. Jesus is praying for us. And I've got a friend who says that if you really want to know what's on somebody's heart, if you really want to know what they're going through, what they're thinking about, what they're burdened about, ask them, ask them what they're praying about. That's how you'll find out what's on their heart. So today, as we get to overhear our Lord Jesus praying for us, we hear most intimately what his heart is for you and for me. He prays that we would be one. 
He prays that we would be witnesses. And he prays finally that we would be with him. My prayer for you this morning is that you would draw more nearer to the heart of our Savior. That your heart might be more closely aligned with his. Jesus kneels before the Father, and he prays that we would be one. Three times he says it. Father, I pray that they would be one, even as we are one. I pray that they might be perfectly one. Father, I pray that they would be one. It's on Jesus' heart most heavily that his church would be united. And this unity has a particular character, has a particular cast to it that we see in the epistle reading that we heard from Acts. At the beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples, this early church, there's only 120 of them at this point. They're all together. They're all in one place. And they're all praying, it says, with one accord. With one accord. There's a delightful Greek word there that's translated with one accord. It's the word homothumadon. Homothumadon. Let me hear you say that. Homothumadon. Just kind of rolls off the tongue, right? Homothumadon, translated with one accord, but it literally means to be rushing together in unison. The picture that I get in my mind is like birds flocking together in, in migratory form. You know, birds of a feather flocking together, or as I know from the mighty ducks, in a flying V, okay? They're in a flying V, all moving together, all going in the same direction, all in unison. Even, did you notice this? Birds very rarely have a whistle up front calling to one another. Let's go this way. You almost never see that. More commonly, it's just through this incredible instinct that they have. This sort of birdly homothumadon. All right? Birdly homothumadon. There you go. This is something akin to what Jesus is praying for his church, for you and me. That we would have this unity, this oneness, this homothumadon. And it's not the kind of unity that the world might aspire to. See, in our world right now, which is so divided, the temptation is to just paper over all of our differences. Pretend like everything is okay. Whistle past the dark and and say, no, 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 we're all just getting along. We're going along. We're getting along. Everything's okay. Or we try to find some kind of unity that's, that's grounded in our demographic similarities or our institutional similarities, or in all of the things that we happen to like on Facebook or otherwise. (laughs) You don't need me to tell you that is shallow soil for the deep roots of unity that Christ desires for you and me. So where does that homothumadon come from? Where does that unity come from that that he's praying for? It comes from our union with the Father and the Son, through the power of the Spirit. It comes through holy baptism as we are joined to the body of Christ. It comes as we are gathered around this table and nourished with the very body and blood of Christ. That's where that union comes from. It's in God. If I can change the metaphor, it's like the Holy Spirit is the conductor of a beautiful symphony. And all of us come together with our own instrumentation and the Spirit is leading us along to make beautiful music to the Lord. That's the unity. That's the, that's the homothumadon that Jesus prays for. And that's not all. 
See, that unity, that homothumadon, is, is not for itself, but it serves a purpose. And that's the, this brings us to the second thing that Jesus prays for. He prays that we would be one, but he prays that we would be one in order that we would be witnesses. That we would be witnesses. Twice in this prayer, he prays that we would be one so that the world may believe, so that the world may know that the Father has sent Jesus into the world. You and I, as the church, we're called to be witnesses. So our Savior prays for us. But it's, it's witnesses of a particular variety. Again, that homothumadon that comes in Christ through the Spirit, we have that unity and our witness flows from that. Sometimes you can get the impression that evangelism or, or Christian witness is kind of like being a salesperson for Jesus, right? You've got to go out there and you've got to get people to sign the dotted line. All right. Yes, you're a sinner. You're miserable. Jesus died for you. And then if you just sign here, you can go to heaven for eternity. Sounds like a pretty good deal. All right. Come on. We got sign. Okay. We got places to go, people to see, right? Is that what true Christian witness is about? Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. At the heart of it is always the proclamation and the invitation to trust in Christ personally as your Savior the Lord who died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the heart of the matter. But we don't stop at some kind of individual transaction. And we're not called to be salespeople. Instead, it's an invitation into a life. It's an invitation into a life with Christ in the fellowship of his family, the church. That you're drawn into a community where you belong to one another, even as you belong to the Lord. So that our witness is gathering folks into the family. Now we can take a, a lead for what this looks like from the early church. This was part and parcel of the witness of the early church. I'll give you one example. Epidemics, plagues, were all over the place in the Roman Empire, in the first couple of centuries after the time of our Lord. In fact, every generation or two, there would be one of these plagues that could wipe, up, up to, wipe out up to a third of the population of the empire. The doctors of the time, they knew that when these sorts of things came, that they were communicable, that they spread from one person to another, but they didn't know about bacteria, they didn't know about viruses, much less about antibiotics or any way that they could really resist it. And so they were pretty much helpless in the face of these plagues. And yet even while the empire was being ravaged by these epidemics, the church grew and grew exponentially. In other words, while all of the, the general population was shrinking, the church was enlarging. How could that be? Well, I want you to imagine for a minute one of these plagues is coming to town. Well, guess who's going to be the first group of people to leave when the plagues are coming to town? The doctors. <laughs> Sad but true, because they know what it can do, and they know that they can't help, and they have the means, and so they leave. The second group of people to leave would be the pagan priests, the priests of all the various and sundry pagan gods. Again, they had the means to do so, and so they would get up and get out of town. But then the third group would be the families of those who were sick themselves. Because the families knew there was nothing that they could do about it. 
And so if they were going to save their own skin, they had to just leave their family member to die, often slowly and painfully. But when those plagues came to town, who stuck around? The Christians stuck around. Jesus had said, whatever you do to the least of these my brothers, you do it to who? Me. You do it to him. They had this deep sense of, of, and desire to care for the neighbor. Not only the neighbor who shared their faith, but also those who did not. And so the Christians would stick around and, and nurse those who were suffering to health as much as they could. Many times they served basically as a hospice. But in other cases, they were just administering basic hygiene and cleanliness and, and people were surviving. And guess what? After the plague finally left town and the dust had settled, the people who had survived and who had seen the Christians hang around and had seen the church care for them, guess what happened to them? They became believers too. Of course. This was a way in which the church as a community, as a body of believers, bore witness through their homothumadon, through their homothumadon, that unity that they had together, they were able to welcome others into the church. This is the kind of witness that Christ is praying for, for you and me, that it flows out of our unity with him. But then one final thing that Jesus prays for, the ultimate thing that he asks for of the Father, and it's quite surprising. Father, he says, I desire that these be with me where I am. He prays that we would be with him. And this is not some exceptional prayer, something that he only offers once. He says it again and again. You think of uh, the thief on the cross. Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, today you will be what? With me in paradise. Or you think um, on elsewhere, for instance, he says, uh, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might also be. This is the deepest desire of our Lord's heart. Simply that you and I would be with him. And I say it's surprising because you might think that the ultimate prayer and goal of our Lord Jesus is that you and I would, what? Be all that we can be that we would accomplish great feats, that we would do great things, that we would go out and change the world. And look, I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm not saying you shouldn't strive to be all that you can be, especially in honoring God and serving Christ. We do, we are, we seek for that to be the case for us. But know, know that our Lord's deepest desire is just that you be with him as the branch is to the vine, that you would abide in him, that you would rest in him, that you would belong to him. That's his prayer for you. It can be easy to forget this. We think, okay, I've got to do so many things, Lord. I want to honor you. I want to do right by you. And that's not a bad impetus, a bad sensation to have. But most sincerely, what the Savior wants is that we would rest in him. There was a man out west who served as a, a district president in our church body. And, you know, district presidents, they're 
You know, they're big shots, okay? They're important people in our church, and they're busy people. They're serving many people, and uh, it can happen sometimes for them, as for any of us, that they get hung up on all that they're doing, all that they're accomplishing, how useful they are being. Well, one of these men, and I'll just call him Irv, Irv had served faithfully as a district president for many, many years, uh, but he was in his late 80s, and his health was failing, and he was growing near to death. And he moved in with his, with his daughter. And uh, a friend of his told me about Irv's last words. See, as Irv's faith was failing, he was still holding on. He was still clinging to life. Sometimes for those who are most powerful and influential in this life, it can be the hardest for them to let go of this life. He was still holding on. And what he kept saying over and over again is, I just need to be useful. I want to be useful. So finally, his daughter comes to his bedside and she puts her hand on his shoulder and she says, Dad, Dad, you have been. And Jesus doesn't need you to be useful anymore. He needs you to be with him. He needs you to be with him. And he looked up at her and he said, thank you. I love you. And he fell asleep in the arms of his Lord. In this life, we seek to make much of it, to be the best that we can be. But ultimately, our Lord's deepest desire is simply and solely that you would be with him. One last thought for you. Harriet drew our attention to our stained glass here. And when I first got here, it kind of struck me of all the things that they could choose to put in the stained glass, that they would choose this scene of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not the Lord on the cross. It's not the resurrected Lord. It's not any number of scenes that it could have been from the Gospels. It's Jesus praying. But then it struck me how profound and how perfect this is. I don't know if it was the intention of the artists or the architect, but let me tell you how I see this and understand this now. See, here we have at our altar the crucifix, the image of the crucified Lord for us. And then behind it, the painting of the resurrected and the ascended Lord. And that's where we are right now in the church here, just on the far side of our Lord's ascension, that he is the crucified one. He is the resurrected and the ascended one. But what's he doing now? Just hanging out in heaven, twiddling his thumbs, waiting for us to get there? No, the scripture tells us that the resurrected and ascended Lord is interceding for you and me at the right hand of the Father, even now. That the prayers that we overheard him uttering in today's gospel, that's not just something that he offered once, but still today at this very moment, he is praying for you. So it says in Romans 8.34 that our Lord is risen and reigning. Indeed, he is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us so that we might always be, it says in Hebrews 7, so that we might be saved to the uttermost. Now, I don't know about you, but that is good news for me because there are days when I feel like I don't pray enough. You ever feel like that? I don't pray well enough. I don't pray long enough. I don't pray enough. 
take heart because you have a living Savior who is praying and interceding for you that you would be united with him, that you would be faithful witnesses to his name, and most of all, that you would be with him. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.